want to turn there. We'll get there uh, in a little while. Um, you may or may not know this about me, depending on how much I've talked to you <laughs> in the past. Uh, I love television. Love television. I love watching TV. Uh, and when my parent, when I was younger, if my parents wanted to punish me, it was by taking away TV because I just enjoyed sitting in front of the idiot box. I know it's, it's an idiot panel now. They've changed it. It's no longer a box. It's a panel. Uh, and staring in that, you know, as Rick often shares with us, it, it, we're a nation that loves to be amused. Uh, amused means to think. Amused means without thinking. It was a place to go and not think. It was a place to go and be entertained. I remember uh, uh, clearly one time, um, I, I don't know what I had done, but I do know that I wasn't supposed to be watching TV because that was important to me. Um, and uh, my mom was out, and I couldn't resist going and watching Tarzan the Ape Man anyway. I don't remember who was doing it. It wasn't Johnny Weissmuller. You know, it was some other guy that was doing it at that time. So I snuck in, and I think I got caught and got punished more for going and watching Tarzan the Ape Man when I was not supposed to. So fortunately for you, God redeems all things, right? So my misspent youth of sitting in front of the TV gives me some examples that hopefully will help all of us today in our journey with the Lord. Amen. Uh, so uh, one of the things that um, has been prevalent over time uh, are courtroom dramas, right? There's a zillion courtroom scenes. We've got NCIS. They end up in court. We had L.A. Law, Boston Legal, all sorts and manners of different TV crime dramas. We had um, Mary, when she was pregnant with our first son, Mitchell, um, was um, – they didn't end up in court too much, uh, but it was uh, – Oh, the Disney lady. I can't believe I can't remember this right now. Uh, she was the teapot in Beauty and the Beast. Angela Murder, she wrote. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is not the only thing I'm going to say about my wife today. She's teaching. She won't know any of it. So you don't have to share it, okay? Um, but uh, Murder, she wrote. Uh, all sorts of courtroom dramas. And uh, one of the first ones that I can remember, and I can't. I can't quite piece together whether I've combined something from The Odd Couple and The Brady Bunch or not. I think it is strictly The Brady Bunch. Ray's like, what are you doing, Bill? <laughs> I think it is strictly The Brady Bunch, right? So Mike Brady has designed something. Somebody got hurt. They're in the courtroom. This guy's wearing a neck brace. He can't, you know, he has to turn this way and that way, and it's uh, going to ruin the Bradys. And how could we have the Bradys ruined because... Gosh, the Bradys are awfully important. Uh, and it's almost the culmination of the trial, and they're about to rule against the Bradys, and someone takes a briefcase, and they throw it on the floor, and it smacks on the floor, and the guy goes, suddenly his neck is healed, and he's able to turn his neck around, and case dismissed, and the Bradys are joyously celebrating, as they did at the end of every episode. Amen. So... That's the first one I can remember. There was an odd couple one where, feel, well, I won't get into that. Uh, uh, but what happens in the courtroom is invariably the defense or the prosecutor objects to something, right? I object. And the judge says what? He either says overruled 
sustained or I'll allow it, right? I'll allow it. Go ahead. Continue your line of questioning. I'll allow it. And depending on who we deem to be the protagonist or the hero of the drama, if it's ruled for him, we're like, yes, they need to see that. And if it's against him, the judge is crooked. He's in with the prosecutor. He's in with the defense. And it's all rigged, you know, because it's against the guy that we like. So somebody raises their hand and they say, I object. And the judge says, overruled or I'll allow it or sustained. And, you know, we do these things with what God allows in our life, right? The Lord allows a lot of things in our life. And I often go, I object. <laughs> I object to that thing in, uh, in uh, A Few Good Men, Tom Cruise, famous scene, right? I object, overruled. I object strenuously. <laughs> overruled. So he sits back down. Sometimes we object very strenuously to what the Lord is allowing in our lives. And we get ourselves into a lot of trouble because we object and we make the thing the focus. We make what we're objecting to the focus. We object and we run away from a situation that God has got us in, that God has allowed uh, for us. Uh, We object and we just spend our time in objection and not in growth. And I I have no desire to minimize anything that anybody is going through, right? Because there can be very terrible, horrific things that people endure. Uh, Our sister Jordan, I forgot to pray for her, right? Jordan, anybody that knows Jordan's story could say God has allowed some very difficult things in Jordan's life. So she sent a message out on Facebook uh, earlier this week um, she had one of her feet. She had just gotten some stitches out. She's got a new infection in that foot. And what she sent out on Facebook was, feeling down, please pray for me. Not, I object, not, Lord, why are you doing this to me? But my brothers and sisters, surround me with prayer. Lift up our, our voices to the Lord. Not an objection, but in supplication. Supplication for peace of mind, supplication for healing, supplication for his will and our ability to stand and endure and be in his will regardless of what's going on. Um, You think about the things that God has allowed in the lives of his people. You go through the Old Testament, (coughs) famine, plague, death threats, actual death, wars, enslavement, false imprisonment impossible responsibility, oppression by enemies, you name it, God's people have been involved in it. You name it, we've come into contact with a lot of things, either for ourselves or people that we love and we care about. And we have this option to object and stay in our objection and be angry with God or to take God at his word, take God for for what he says. In Hebrews uh, 10, verse 32, we see some of the stuff that was happening to the Christians in the early church. Uh, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. 10, verse 33. 
Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood by side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So this is being written to the Hebrew church probably about 30, 40 years after uh, Jesus has died and been resurrected, maybe a little bit longer than that. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of difficulty going on for them. And it talks about a joyful acceptance of the confiscation of their property. That's not easy. That's not, hard. That's not something that comes naturally to us. But the proof, is, the, the proof of what they were doing, the ability to do that, was the eyes that stayed focused on the Lord instead of arguing with the Lord. Um, I mean, look at what happened to Jesus. You know, then Stephen was the first martyr, then uh, James, and on and on. These guys went to death, and then you had great persecutions under Nero uh, and other Roman emperors that happened uh, to the church. These were things that were difficult. These were things that God allowed. These were things that God didn't just say, you know, I'm not going to allow any bad things to happen to you when you become a Christian. And he allows things that are difficult in our lives as well. So how do we respond? Do we object strenuously? Do we run away from it like Jonah? Uh, Another wonderful TV uh, uh, reference here. So my kids have been watching uh, the VeggieTales Jonah, right? If you haven't seen the VeggieTales Jonah, I highly recommend it. Because I never realized how sad Jonah is. Jonah, who gets this call from God to go speak to the Ninevites, uh, runs away, right? And God could have just said, oh, you're going to run away? I'll blast you. You know, no more Jonah. Oh, you're going to run away? When they throw you in the sea, you're going to drown. That's it. Oh, you're going to run away? I'm going I'm to blast the boat that took you, too. But no, he has compassion on those people, and he has compassion on Jonah, who gets swallowed up by a whale. Maybe not so pleasant, but compassion nonetheless. And uh, Jonah goes and preaches, and they actually repent. I mean, what, you know, as a, someone that speaks seldomly, if you went and did everything I said, I would be like, wow, that's pretty cool. I'm good at this, you know. Jonah's like mad. He didn't want him to repent. He wanted them to be destroyed. And he was more concerned about the shade tree that he had falling down than the hundreds and thousands of people who didn't know their right hand from their left. See, Jonah saw evidence over and over again of God's compassion, and he learned nothing from it. That's the sadness of Jonah. That's a great example, I think, of someone who took what God allowed in their lives and learned nothing and stayed in the same place instead of learning, growing, being filled with that compassion that God had on him and on other people. Uh, so um, I'm working on my sermon yesterday, and I'm in the dining room, and Mary comes in and says, uh, oh, I just, I just had the thought, you know, since Rick's away, the teachers are going to be really happy because their classes will be short, right? Uh, and then she, then she goes, and then I realized I'm teaching. 
<laughs> she, had, she had totally forgotten that we had our little brown envelope on the countertop. So the curriculum is awesome, though. I mean, it does so many things for you. Those of you that aren't teaching, if, you, if you're afraid you have to do a lot, please teach because it's great. But anyway, I have to be relatively brief or she'll get mad at me. No, she won't get mad at me. Um, but she's in there, so she can't hear what I'm saying. And none of this should be construed as me uh, talking bad about my wife because it's not because she's wonderful. You perked up <laughs> talking bad about my wife. Um, it's, it's not that. This is my issue, and I'm just going to share it. So uh, once in a while, right, we uh, get angry with our spouses on occasion. You can all look down furtively like it's not you. But once in a while, these things happen. And, um, like, there's that thing that we really wish would be different that isn't. Um, that's been going on for as long as we've been married and even when we were dating, but we didn't notice it then. Or there's something. And uh, I don't even remember what it was, but I remember the conversation that I had with God about it. And I appreciate so much the things that Joel shared uh, last week about questions and their usefulness uh, in instructing us and and God's answers or non-answers to those questions at times. Um. And I was just angry, right? You know, in that, that angry sort of way, like, you don't really talk to each other, you know, but you do with the things that have to deal with the kids because you have to, and, but that's about it. And I was uh, saying to God, you know, why isn't this different? Why, is, why hasn't she changed? You know, like, she doesn't have a list five times as long as mine. Um, and uh, I remember, you know, God basically saying to me, I know exactly where she is, and I'm able to love her unconditionally. Are you? And uh, I was very convicted. (laughs) God knows exactly where he has each one of us. He knows exactly what we're going through. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He has plans for every single one of those things. He knows exactly what he's allowed in our lives, and he knows what he's not allowed. And it's amazing. It was such a great revelation to me to be able to say, how stupid am I to be complaining about where God has his servant? Because that's his servant. Who am I? And the Bible says this, and I don't know where it is, but you can look it up later. Who are you to complain about another man's servant? Who are we to complain about God's servant, particularly the one he's put in our lives to sand off or demolish our rough edges? Uh, and again, I know this, is, this could be construed as a very small thing compared to other things that God is allowing in people's lives. The point is God knows what he is doing. There's two things that I want to point, about, point out about what God allows in our lives. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And thanks to Joel, I will give you plenty of time to turn there. Thank you, brother, for your direction last week. I, I know, I know. I thought it would be better for you to give her the credit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 11. 
These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. God never allows anything in our lives that is beyond our ability to endure. It does not happen. We may think it's beyond our ability to endure, but God knows better. And this is not, all right, this is the last time I'm going to say it. I am not trying to diminish anything that anybody's going through and saying or say that your situation, you should be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't mean that at all. My encouragement is God understands what he is doing in your life. He understands what he is doing in my life better than I do and always will. The best illustration I've ever heard of this, of God, you know, always providing a way out, not allowing us to be tempted uh, beyond what we can bear, and it's kind of silly, but it's almost, uh, I found it very appropriate and enlightening. It's almost as though God is standing in front of the nets of our lives as a goalkeeper, right? And Satan's out there taking shots on goal, trying to get anything he can through, to bring us down, to tempt us, to get us into doing things that are apart from uh, what God uh, has for us. And he kicks one thing in, and God looks at it and says, oh, no, he can, he can handle that. She can handle that. I'll allow that. I'll allow that through. Maybe it's a little dribbler. Maybe he kicks something really hard, and it hits us really hard. And God says, no, that's my son or daughter is up to the task with that. I know that they can do it, and I know what I'm going to do with it. And then uh, Satan, you know, in great excitement, says, then I'm going for this one. I'm going to load this one in. And he gears up with all he has and kicks it as hard as he can, and God goes, not that one. They can't deal with that, and I won't allow that. And he tosses it back. And the things that are trying, that Satan is trying to demolish us with, diminish us with, God sees all of those coming long before we do, and he knows which ones he's going to allow, and he knows which ones he's not going to allow. And frankly, I think the over time, some of the things he stopped early in our lives, he allows later because we've grown, because we have learned to fight with the armor that he's given us instead of on our own. And so he allows these things. He says, this one can go through, this one can't. And nothing can happen without his allowance of it. Satan has no power to say, I'm going to do this and you can't stop it, God. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible for that to happen in our lives. Um, You know, we have, a, uh, we have a pool, and Mitchell and Miles are both very good swimmers. You know, Bryce and Jameson are younger, though, right? Bryce is three, Jameson's one. But last summer in the pool, uh, so Bryce would have been two there, and Jameson would have been, whatever, nine months or so, uh, Bryce 
you know, you put him down with his little bubble on or his puddle jumper, whatever his floaty thing is, they've gotten much better than the little wings, you know, that they used to stick on your kid's arms. They're a little more, <laughs> a little more successful than the uh, water wings. Um, and uh, Bryce would get in the pool and go everywhere. No fear whatsoever. Shallow end, deep end, couldn't touch the bottom. He didn't jump in. You know, I would have liked if he jumped in. I thought that's, you know, as dads, we all like when our kids do dangerous and crazy things and our wives go, you sure that's okay? (laughs) Honey? Um, Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I didn't know he was going to fall that hard. Yeah, it's like. (laughs) So he would go everywhere. And Jameson, of course, we had to hold on to him because even with the floaty, his face is going to go into water. Um. And But he did everything he could to get out of our arms and into the water. You know, like, I, how far can you jam your toe into my ribs to try to get away from me? You know, sharp little toenails, sharp fingernails, pushing away, everything he could possibly do uh, to get out of my arms or Mary's arms because he wanted to be in the water. And, of course, we couldn't, you know, let him. Uh, get in that way. So I thought, wow, those guys, they love the water so much. This summer is going to be, you know, Bryce will be jumping in, Jameson will be trying 